Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, in this, we have uh, been in the middle of this series dealing with our heart. And I'm honestly, it's kind of a cool thing that in the, when all this pandemic mess hit, um, this was already on our agenda as a church to deal with making sure we guard our heart. And we've called this series Heart of Culture and just on, and playing on the concept of just that idea of cultivating our heart. So if you've got uh, your version notes, if you're watching on Facebook, things should kind of be popping up as we go along here. Uh, and so we've looked at this idea that cultivating your heart is essential to life because it is the ground where every decision in life grows. It's the ground where it grows. It all comes up out of your heart. In fact, Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. We've got to guard our heart. It's the ground where it grows up. And yesterday was a beautiful day. And even though we've been quarantined, one of the things they do say is to be able to get some sunshine and, to, and with proper social distancing, maybe even some outdoor exercise and whatnot. So, man, our family took advantage of the beautiful day. And so we went on a walk and, and did some outdoor projects. And one of those things was, is it's spring. It's time for some flowers. It's time for some stuff that does some life. And we'd had our, the, the, the pots out side and so that the soil that had been there had been there for a little while so when we went to the store to buy some flowers we didn't just buy flowers we bought fresh potting soil because for those flowers to be able to flourish well they had to have life-giving soil so it took the old soil out made sure that the new stuff was put in there and that's kind of this concept that we want to make sure that this place where our all of the decision in life are growing, that the soil is healthy. We have our, our hearts are in a place that is healthy. And as we continue to look at the scriptures on this, uh, we see that the scriptures tell us that we can set our hearts. So many times we feel like that the heart wants what the heart wants. It just kind of goes its own way. It's kind of this little butterfly, and we're just doing our best to try to kind of keep up with this. But the scriptures say that is not the case at all. We set our hearts. We're to, we're, we are to make decisions. And, and in fact, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 29, tells you what not to set our heart. It says, do not set your heart on what you will eat or what you will drink and don't worry about it. I think a bunch of us kind of had a little bit of a battle on just that particular thing, on worrying about what we're going to eat and what we're going to drink. I think some, some bare shelves and some lines at the grocery stores have proven that there's been a little bit of a challenge for our community right here on this very thing. Because so many times, <clears throat> these tight situations reveal what our hearts are set on. And this could be a really great moment for us to be a little bit reflective and see what, what is my heart actually set on. Because the truth is, is trouble comes. In fact, in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus told us this. He told us this. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He wants us to have peace. That's what he wants. He's the prince of peace. He wants us to have peace. 
But he says, in this world, you will have trouble. We're going to have trouble. We're in the middle of unprecedented trouble. And so, but he wants us to have peace. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, I'd mentioned that we have been going on, we went on a walk yesterday. We've been enjoying the spring mornings and gone on a number of walks. And of course, we're walking down the streets of our of our neighborhood. We're doing our best to walk on the proper side of the road and doing everything that we should. But of course, eventually a car comes by. Well, we've got the two little girls. We've got Colin and Pressy, six and eight. And while we're walking, we're always guarding the children. And in guarding the children, we're aware of where they are and aware of what is potentially impacting them. So we're guarding them. But there's not always an immediate threat, but we're always guarding them. The scriptures tell us, guard your heart for everything you do flows out of it. You pay attention to it. You're aware of it. You're aware of what might impact it. But when potential trouble comes, that's when all of a sudden the little girls can know if a car is coming just because of our reaction. Because we get closer to them. We take their hand we make sure we're in control of them so that they, in their immaturity, don't absentmindedly decide to just sprint over here. And we can't take for granted that they're paying attention to the upcoming car. We cherish them so we take their hand when there is potential trouble. That is the next step of guarding your heart. When trouble comes, you take heart. If there's real trouble, if something was to really go down, I guarantee I wouldn't just grab Pressy's hand. I'd grab Pressy and I would take her in my arms and I would be holding her close if something really heavy went down. I was always aware of where she's at. I'm always guarding her. But when everything, when trouble comes, that's when you grab a hold. And that's what the scriptures is telling us. We guard our hearts all the time. We're conscious of what's impacting, flowing, what's happening with our hearts. But when trouble comes, we take heart. Why? Because the enemy wants our heart. He knows that that is where the center of decision making is going to be. In the middle of this pandemic, when it's all said and done, the enemy wants your heart. He wants to, to mess up and rock you at your very heart. And that's why in the moments like this, we have to, to take a hold of it. We have to take heart. We have to grab a hold of it, pay extra attention to it. And we guard it on a deeper level. And that is what the scriptures is, is telling us to do. Because trouble is accelerated when we focus on ourselves. You're like, well, in Guarding your heart, focusing on yourself. No, no, no. It's being aware that my decisions and how, what I'm going to be doing with others and life stuff, how that is going to impact it. But when I begin to be self-centered, that is actually a trouble accelerant. Anybody who's ever been on the men's retreat with, with me or marriage retreat knows that I like to build fires. I like to, to, to have a fire. It's, I just enjoy it. And so, and my favorite way to build a fire is to do a one-match fire. It doesn't always work, but you get all of the stuff just right, the kindling in the middle, lay all the logs, you do it, and you light one match, and it takes, and then the next thing takes, and the next thing takes. But every once in a while, that doesn't work, and I need an accelerant. You get some 
you know, you get some uh, lighter fluid, you get some, if you're desperate and you're, and you're being goofy, you get some gasoline, which is dangerous, and, but you get some sort of accelerant to be able to go on there and to make it go forward. Whenever we focus on ourselves, and so many times when trouble comes, we begin to become self-centered, and that actually is a trouble magnifier. 2 Timothy um, 3, 1 and 2, this is Paul writing to his number one disciple, his number one son in the faith, and, he, and he's coaching him. He, he's, he's helping him um, to be able to do what God has called him to do, and he's given him some heads up. And he says, but mark this. He's like... Take a note of this. Uh, be aware of this. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. And he's about to give a list. And you think, okay, man, it's going to be that there's going to be this. There's going to be stuff like coronavirus. There's going to be plagues. There's going to be war. There's going to be all this stuff. He's about to give us this heavy list. There's going to the, be terrible times. And the first thing Paul says, oh, man, there's going to be terrible times. People will be lovers of themselves. They're going to be lovers of themselves. The thing that, that Paul leads with his number one disciple, that, that people are going to be lovers of themselves. What happens? Why is that such a big deal? Well, it's, it doesn't fall within that what we're called to. We're called to love God and to love others. And all of a sudden, terrible times happen when we take this love that's supposed to be directed towards God and directed towards others, and we focus, focus inward. And if everybody's doing that, then the whole system God created begins to fall apart. We're not functioning on God's system. God's system functions on loving God and loving others. And as soon as we begin to hijack that and we turn inward, all sorts of terrible things begin to unfold. Now, there's a place where when stress and trouble and that kind of stuff come about, we begin to recognize that things begin to get off base. We begin to feel um, tired, worn down. And there's a phrase that gets thrown about. And if you use this phrase, there's no condemnation on this. But I just wanted, I want us to, to use this as a place for us to kind of to reassess some things. But they say, whenever you begin to get stressed and worn down and, and things begin to get difficult... Then sometimes in the middle of that, you can feel like, and this phrase pop out of your mouth, then you're like, you know what? At this point, I, I just need some me time. I just need some, I just need some me time. And the truth is, is what you're probably not needing is me time. You're probably needing some alone time with God. You're probably needing some time to get refreshed with God. We see that Jesus re repeatedly went to a solitary place, not because Jesus was wore out. Jesus was like, oh my goodness, you disciples are driving me up the wall. I feel like I've been quarantined with you 12 jokers. I am done. I totally need some me time. The, the, the mob, the masses, all they want is for me to do bread miracle after bread miracle after bread miracle. I'm done. I need some me time. I'm going to the Galilee spa and I'm going to chill. No, that is not what Jesus was doing. All of Jesus' isolated places that he was getting alone with the Father. He was praying. He was connecting. When he began as a human to recognize that he needed a place to recharge, he always was connecting with the Father. I want to challenge you that in the middle of this, when you begin to feel like maybe I need a little me time, let's redirect that into some alone time 
with God, where you begin to spend a little extra time, maybe in the scriptures. That works. That's a good one. Maybe with just some worship music. Maybe just thinking about the goodness of God, just getting quiet and thinking. That's the spiritual practice of meditation. And our Western Christianity gets all spooked about that meditation word. Thankfully, lately, it's not been as bad as it was when I was a kid. Everybody associated it with some sort of cultic thing. But meditation is just to purposely think about God and what he's done and just just think on those different things. Maybe begin to to express yourself in some sort of creative way that you begin to to maybe write some poetry or or put some ideas down or, or, or do something and be able to connect with God. That is what your soul is crying out for when that thing pops out of your mind, your heart, that I need some me time. See, what the enemy wants to do is find, take all of your cravings and turn them against you. You'll have this genuine craving for God. He will mask it as me time and begin to turn it in and make you begin to be more and more selfish, which really when drawing into God will make you less and less self-centered. And you'll find at the end of it, it doesn't really help you the way you hope that it would help you. See, James chapter 3, verse 16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. That's why Paul told Timothy, man, there's going to be some terrible times. Everybody's going to be lovers of themselves. Because where you find envy and selfish ambition, every else, everything else bad comes with it. It just, boom, they, they kick open the doors. And everything else begins to roll in with it. But wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. But so many times we get in a tough situation and instead of loving God and loving others, we get focused on self and we we begin to use others Instead of serve others. One of my favorite stories to to share this is whenever I was growing up in Odessa, Texas. Over on 47th Street. Um, Then uh, uh, me and my next door neighbors, we would like to to ride our bikes and and build a ramp. And whenever you, if you were a, a kid in the 80s. Then you jumped your bike. And I didn't have one of the cool BMX bikes. I had one of the banana seat bikes, man. And so, but you could jump that banana seat bike just like one of those BMX bikes. And so we'd find wood around the place, build our ramps. And, and it was, we had no helmets. They didn't even sell helmets back then. If you had a helmet, you had to borrow it from your uncle that drove the motorcycle. They didn't sell kid helmets at all. And so we're the generation that made somebody decided we better put helmets on people. And so we we would get our bikes and we would build these ramps. Well, we had the wood. We had a nice wood plank. And but we could not find something the right height to be able to have our ramp. So me and my next door neighbor are sitting there and we're looking at this and trying to build our ramp and we're doing it in the alley instead of the street so we're trying to be a little bit safer in the in the in the caliche alley and then for whatever reason we look over at my friend's little sister and we're like man she's about the right thickness um she could hold our ramp up really good and so we decided that we were going to use her to hold our 
ramp up. Now, don't hate me if you're tuned in. I'm not really this terrible all the time. And so, but I have had my low moments for sure. And, and so, and so we convinced her. No, we were sweet. I went and got my mom's front mat and he got his mom's front mat so she didn't have to lay completely on the dirt. Come on, we were being considerate. And so put the doormat down and then put another one on top of her and put the wood on her. And, and sure enough, we did. We got down the alley and rode our bikes and we launched our, jumped our bikes off of off of his sister. And, and, and it sounds terrible because it was. And uh, um, but in that in that alley that afternoon, um, there were there were two different attitudes towards people being represented in that alley. Um, the first one was an attitude towards people of that. Um, I've got I've got an idea. I've got something I want to accomplish, and I'm willing to use somebody to lift me up. And then there was another idea that says, you know what? I'm here to serve, and I'm willing to lay myself down to lift others up. See, God has called us to be to not turn inward in the middle of all of these different things. To not make sure our stockpile is to overflowing, but to make sure our neighbor isn't without. It has called us to begin to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That our peace and our trust in a God who provides allows us to be bold and generous in the middle of some tight times. And folks, um, I don't know when this is going to be over, but however long it's going to be, Guess what? That we have a rich history of God taking care of his people in miraculous ways. We're the ones who can be bold in the middle of this. We're the ones who can live differently in the middle of this. We're the ones who can can give and, and clear out our own cupboards and do what we need to do to make sure other people are cared for. Because guess what? In our culture, in our city, there are two attitudes There are those who want to just take care of self and there are those who are willing to lay themselves down. And we're called to be those who are willing to lay ourselves down to help our neighbor and to care for people. We're the ones who can make this not be one of those terrible times. If we begin to insert the love of God into this place where the love of self wants to take over, we can begin to reverse this mess and let the love of God shine through in all of this. In fact, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. We want to call this worship. Scriptures say that what we do with our daily lives, that is real worship. This moment of worship helps me connect and to re- so that I can do the rest of my worship, which is the rest of my daily life. That is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. There is certainly a pattern being played out in our world right now. A world of focusing on self, a world of taking care of self. But we're not to conform to that pattern, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Our mind needs to be renewed because the, the old systems say, take care of self, take care of self, take care of self. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and his perfect will. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts this in the message translation. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Praise God. 
we don't have to live this way out of our own strength. We have the power of the Holy Spirit at work and in us. We don't have to do this on our own. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work or working remotely, however it is right now, walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. That is what begins to make the difference. It's not just the Sunday morning experience. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being a part of this. But this hour we spend together this morning isn't the totality of our worship. It sets us up for the, for the reality of our all week, all day long worship. The, the eating, sleeping, walking around, working remotely, everyday kind of life. That is what we're called. We're called to give God our entire life. And as we look at this, we will see that giving God our entire life, that is what worship really looks like. And so self-control is when we give God control. And self-control, it's like a trouble shield for your life. See, when trouble comes in and we focus on self and that accelerates it, self-control, so not getting wound up, that it's like a shield. Proverbs 25, 28 says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Now, we don't think about this a whole lot because we don't have walled cities anymore. But back in the day when every little people group had to take care of themselves, this walled city was a big deal. And they needed that because inside of that walled city was everything that pertained to life. Everything. So this is where all commerce took place. This is where they bought their stuff. All the markets existed. Um, This is where they worshiped. The temple would exist inside the walled city. This is where all festivals and fun stuff, the social things. This is where the government system was set up. This is where all justice was done inside this walled city. Everything that pertained to life happened inside the walled city. And it says, but a man who lacks self-control is like a city whose walls are torn down. So all pieces of life. It's not just like a little piece. Like if you lack self-control, just your relationship life is, is going to be in trouble. No, your whole life is going to be affected by this. All of it. Every aspect of life is going to be impacted by this. So we need this place of self-control. But remember, self-control is giving God control. And so 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says we need so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. When we don't walk in a place of self-control, that's when the enemy begins to just play with us like a, like a, like a cat plays with a little mouse and just, and just toys with it. And so uh, 1 Peter 4, 7 says... The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. You'll find ourselves when when we let our hearts go run wild in the middle of trouble. We haven't taken heart. We don't have that place of self-control. That even our prayer life begins to just not be actually what it should be. So self-control is about making life-giving decisions. See, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and 
self-control or a sound mind or self-discipline, depending on the translation you read. Fear is trying to take over us. Some people are afraid of the virus itself. Some people are afraid of our society's response to the virus, that they're going to take all of the resources and all these different things. Other people are afraid of the economic impact of the virus. There's all of these different things. Other people are afraid that the government is going to utilize the virus as an excuse to do this or that. There's just fear, 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 fear. And God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, of of self-control. As we walk through this, every time fear tries to pop up, that is not of God. And take that and bring it to God and say, God, what do help me to, to walk in a place of power and of love and of a sound mind? <clears throat> the um, NIRV, the reader's version, says God didn't give us a spirit that makes us weak and fearful. He gave us a spirit that makes us powerful, that, give, that gives us power and of love, and it helps us to control ourselves. Titus chapter 2 Verse 11 says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. God's grace has come and we are so thankful for it. If you're tuning into us, that is is our mindset that this thing with church isn't us. Church isn't us trying to impress God for God to do something uh, for us and to be able to forgive us. This connection of the church has come because God was in Christ reconciling the world to him for to himself that he was in Christ forgiving us. He he's the one who's done it and this is our response to him forgiving us. His grace offers salvation to all people. And that grace it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Grace does. So many people think, man, you can just take this grace thing too far. No, grace is God's work in our life. That is what it is. Anytime you try to shelf grace or try to balance out grace, you're removing God's power from our life. It's it's grace is what teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It is grace that does that. That while we wait for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. Who's doing the purifying? He is doing the purifying. How is he doing the purifying? By his grace. His grace, it speaks into us and it leads and guides and directs us. And so self-control, it helps us to let God have room to turn our trouble into triumph. Every time the enemy comes in and creates trouble, it's an opportunity for God's glory to, to win. He, God can, cannot be stopped in this deal if we would just give him room in our lives for him to do it. But we are choosers. We've got to let God work in our lives. And so as we look at these few little things right quick, that even when things are, are lawful, Grace says, you know what? We're not ha- having to function under the law. But 
grace, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So just because things aren't, are, are not, things are lawful and not harmful, they should be subjected um, to these uh, three tests. The first thing we want to know is, is it helpful? Is this thing going to be helpful? 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything's helpful. So just because you can do it doesn't mean that maybe you should do it. So as we walk this out, we need to be thinking this as, as the people of God. We need to be mindful. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. Let's walk in a place of love. The next thing is, is, is it constructive? Is this going to build something up or is this going to tear something down? 1 Corinthians 10, 23b says everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Not everything is bringing life. Just because you can do it doesn't mean that you should do it. Love puts a stronger restraint than the law ever could. Love has us walk in a more narrow place than the law ever could because love prefers others. And then the last one is, is, is it to the glory of God? You know, and so many times we can read this and we don't use the word glory a whole lot and it can read kind of churchy. Is it to the glory of God? And uh, that is not that is not what this is meaning is. Is it the glory? God's glory is who he is. It's his nature. So the question is, is is this choice that I'm making? Is it going to reveal the nature of God? Is it going to reveal his heart? Is it going to reveal who he is? Is it going to reveal the way God operates? That is, is it going to bring the glory to God? First Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So the way we conduct even the most routine daily things, eating and drinking, those things can bring glory to God. They can reveal the nature of who God is. And then John 16, 13 says, but, but when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. I'm so thankful in this time that we have the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us as we're walking out unprecedented situations that we have the guidance and the assurance that the Holy Spirit gives. And we are not wandering around, bumping around in the dark, trying to figure this thing out. We have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us that we can guard our hearts. In the middle of this trouble, we can take heart and walk in a place of genuine, true self-control. Because again, our bottom line is this, that self-control is giving God control. That's what lordship is. Self-control is saying, here I am. God, lead and guide and direct me. And so as we walk this out, as you walk this out in your household, as you walk this out through with your employer or, or the business you own or run or, or however this goes, as you, we walk this out as a church in our community, um, we don't know what the rest of this next week is going to hold, but I, I know who will lead and guide us and direct us. I'm confident that the Holy Spirit will lead and guide and direct. And so as we've looked at this series, as we look at this series, all we, we keep coming back to this, that 
A healthy heart is about the life of God in us, showing the life of God through us. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.